Hello and welcome to But Have You Considered Therapy, a podcast focused on mental health and social justice. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started, the views expressed on this podcast belong to myself and my guests. They are not affiliated with any organization or agency. Additionally, because some very personal information is shared on this podcast, last names may be avoided and pseudonyms may be used. Finally, this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for clinical mental health services. If you are in crisis and in need of assistance, please call 911 immediately. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash considertherapy and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash considertherapy to get started today. I love Audible. I have a pretty long commute, so I listen to a ton of audiobooks. Right now, I'm listening to Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. It's a book written by a therapist about being a therapist and about being in therapy, so it's very on brand for this podcast. It's a really fun listen, and she offers a lot of fabulous insight. In addition to your free trial, Audible is giving our listeners a free audiobook, and I highly recommend checking out Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. All right, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to But Have You Considered Therapy? Um, for usual, this is Mel, and today I'm joined by Delinda Spain, um, who is the clinical director of the agency I work at, um, and we are going to talk about some really cool stuff today. Delinda, would you introduce yourselves to the listeners? Sure, sure, sure. Um, I am Delinda Spain. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a therapist, and I have been working in Austin for about 20 years. Um, well, that's enough. I think that's enough for now. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so Delinda, the reason, or one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast was a while ago in a training, you said something that really stuck with me. Um, and I think that it's something that's really become or is probably has always been relevant, but is like very obviously relevant right now. Um, which is sort of, and I, I'll paraphrase you, but the idea that everything that we consider like mental illness or diagnosable kind of disorder is stuff that we have just decided is disordered, essentially. Um, that we have, we, we being sort of the med- mental health community mm-hmm. have labeled certain behaviors, certain traits, certain characteristics as disordered. And when you said that, it really got me thinking about how a lot of those traits are sort of rooted in trauma Mm -hmm. and how, you know, essentially what that means is that we pathologize trauma. Um, And so I wanted to first kind of just get your take on that idea um, and how, how you maybe kind of tell me how you like arrived at that, that knowledge and that conclusion mm-hmm. um, that essentially this is all stuff that we've made up. <laughs> it's all made up now. That's yeah. it. That's the only thing you need to know. It's all pretend. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, that sounds super smart. I, I'm, I don't think I said it that way. So, but I, I love that I'm getting credit for it. Um, I, I, you know, I think for me, I started out working with folks with eating disorders. Um, and, you know, originally eating disorders were sort of considered a kind of a character thing, right? Like, um, 
it was because they, these, these women in particular had been sexually abused. Like there, there was a reason why they were engaging in eating disorder behaviors. Um, and the more I started working with this population, the more I learned about it, um, the more I kind of, it became clearer and clearer to me that these were women or people. I started mostly women originally and then started working with more men uh, as my career progressed. Uh, but these were folks that were coping. They were trying to cope with um, a lot of feelings and a lot of intensity and they were having, they just didn't have enough tools. And so they developed this really awkward coping skill of starving themselves or binging and purging or binging and um, sort of in this war with their bodies. And it became clearer, I guess, to me as I was working that um, just the trauma, the response to trauma was, was interacting with their food in this way. Mm -hmm. And this sort of like progressed into folks I worked with who were getting diagnosed uh, with borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And then I would start working with them. And then it became really clear that really we were talking about very complex PTSD, like that line between um, borderline personality disorder and complex PTSD, which Marsha Linehan uh, describes it as sort of the biosocial model, right? Mm -hmm. Like people are born uh, extraordinarily sensitive, emotionally sensitive, they're finely tuned, and then they're invalidated their whole lives for being so emotionally sensitive. And so what ends up happening is you end up with a person who just sort of walks around in a trauma response. Mm -hmm all of the time. And then we say, gosh, why are you so difficult to be with? Yeah. Why can't you just manage your feelings? Why can't you just be okay? Why do you have to make such a big deal about everything all the time? Uh, just be normal. And it's yeah. like, well, this person's never had the experience of being validated or, um, or being normal or being allowed to be normal. They're just, they're just pathologized. Right. Right. And I think about, I think about diagnosis a yes. little bit in this way. And, and on the one hand, I know that for some people, diagnosis can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, because for example, like borderline personality disorder, um, there are certain treatments that are more effective than others. Right. So if you, if you have that diagnosis, you are going to be potentially less successful with treatments, some treatments and more successful with others. And so it can be important to know what you're working with right. in order to know how to treat it. Um, same with, you know, there are obviously diagnoses that kind of um, either require or are helped by certain medications. That's right. So it's like, there, there's, there's the way that diagnosis is helpful. On right. the other hand, I'm so aware of like, someone having the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder is so stigmatizing. Right. That's and, right. And so what do you, I mean, this is a broad question and maybe we can work into a more specific thing, but I'm, I'm curious like what your opinion is of diagnosis, because for me as a fairly new counselor, like I've been at this like three and a half years at this point, mm -hmm. I, I have always felt like bleh about diagnosis. <laughs> like I have not, I have not really wanted to touch it. I have not really right. wanted to go there. Um, but I know that there are ways that it's helpful. So uh, tell me a little bit about what, what do you think about it? When do you think it's helpful? Um, and tell me a little bit about that. 
Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not against diagnosis if you want to know the truth. I mean, one of the things that I think is challenging to remember is that the mental health field is actually incredibly young, right? Mm -hmm. We've only really been practicing since the twenties. Really? I mean, yeah. before that, we were like putting leeches on people and we weren't really like having the idea of like studying the way someone thought or their mood or how they were interacting with other people. Like it, mm -hmm. Freud is the one who got us started with all of this sort of idea about it. Um, and so, I mean, that's not very much time at all. Like we're, we're way in the dark ages still mm -hmm. when, we're, when it comes to understanding the mind, when it comes to understanding resiliency and, and um, development and what happens whenever you interfere with someone's development as they're growing up. So I think the process of diagnosing is helpful mm -hmm. um, because we're still collecting data. We're still trying to understand sort of constellations and we're trying to understand how people are. Mm -hmm. And the more data we get, the better off we are, right? Yeah. I think the dilemma for me, and this is where I get super like pedantic and ranty, but is, is um, when people can't diagnose authentically, they're having to diagnose so that a person can access their insurance benefits. So this happens all the time, right? Um, and so what ends up happening is you end up with these like, these diagnoses that are meaningless um, because we don't have, because they, it's not actually capturing what's going on with the client. Um, plus the process of, you know, you know, the process of diagnosing someone really needs to take time. It's yeah. a, it's a complicated process and we try to do it too quickly. There's a lot of stuff that's wrong with it. I think the other thing is though, and I'm thinking about this sort of in terms of like being diagnosed for the trauma response you're having, right? right. Like, um, um, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll bring it up, right? Like we, we, there's so much, um, so much uh, finally open awareness about racial injustice, right? And so what do we do? How do we, do we diagnose an entire population based on their response to racial trauma, mm -hmm. right? Like, and, and is that really where we want to go? Like at some point it becomes like, is it a diagnosis or is it a social construct? Mm. Where do we start like yeah. pushing back against those ideas? And the, when we're diagnosing, we're diagnosing individuals yeah. one by one by one. Um, but what do we, how do we, how do we talk about the experience of a whole group of people? Right. Okay. Right. And yeah, absolutely. And I think what, and I'm glad you, you brought this up because this was something that I really wanted us to talk about in this, in this episode too, is just the, the reality of certain communities experiencing a higher level of trauma than others. Absolutely. Um, and therefore, experiencing a higher level of just quote-unquote disordered behavior right quote unquote, diagnosable behavior right right problematic like, behavior right right problematic yeah problematic behavior and like I don't know I just I it's it's something that I'm like newly sitting with and I'm like mm -hmm. how do we reckon with that like how do we and then how do we also kind of look at our system and say like is this is this really working Right. Like the best, is this like the best system because it is sort of pathologizing like specific groups of people who mm -hmm. have sure. 
extremely valid reasons for the quote-unquote problematic behavior that they're right. that they're displaying um yeah I, and and i guess this is this is something that i'm like i'm i'm like learning about as i like as i talk and so i i don't have <laughs> as many um really well-formed <laughs> questions as i usually have um yes. i wanted to have you on because i know I know that this is something you you're thinking about too, and yeah. I just um, kind of want to, I guess, see what you think about right. what I've just said. <laughs> well, and and plus, you know, I can also just talk sort of endlessly, yeah, yeah about anything. It. Yeah, um, yeah. I think. Well, I just to answer your question, I think our system's broken. I mean, yeah. I think it's been broken from the very beginning. Uh, for in all kinds of different ways, the system doesn't work. It's not working, and that's why. Um, we're getting such a good head of steam right now. That's why we're, there's so many people who are standing up and, and getting louder about what's not okay, right? And I mean, this is also one of the things, you know, one of the arguments people like to make is about the, the, the manual we use for diagnosis, right, is the DSM. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like version three, uh, listed homosexuality as a disorder, right, to be treated. But then our social construct around that changed. Right. Our understanding about people changed. And therefore, um, what was once diagnosable is now no longer diagnosable, right? right? We're in that evolution again, right? The more, again, the more people stand up and say, no, uh, this isn't a disorder. This is who I am. And there's reasons for it. And this is how I function in the world, mm -hmm. right? This is the, the tension we always run into. The way we understand problematic behavior is based on how our society defines problematic behavior. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So if our society expands and has a different idea about problematic behavior, then it's not problematic behavior anymore, right? It's not diagnosable anymore. Right. And so if you have a group of people and you're saying, you know, you have to fit into this little box and if you don't fit into that box, you're a problem. Um, until we make that box bigger, we may have lots of problems, right? Like it's a tension between, again, what's actually going on biochemically um, inside a person's mind and a social identity, a social um, description of how we're supposed to behave. Right. Mm -hmm. And in our country right now, I, you know, a, apart from the racial inequities that are like blaring, like everything's like really turned up now. I think the issue about people who uh, want to wear masks out in public and people who don't want to wear masks is fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, right. Because everyone, everyone has an idea about being right in this and people have facts and they have, I mean, all this information is going back and forth, but really what we're talking about is there's a, there's two social constructs that are smashing into one, each other, right? Mm -hmm. There's one group of people who are saying, wear masks, that's the smart thing to do and blah, blah, blah. And these other people are saying, you're telling me what to do and I don't like it and I'm not gonna wear them. And, um, and, then, all, and then all the things that ensue from that, which then mm -hmm. makes everyone involved in that, which is all of us, really crazy because you have to pick a side you can't not you can't not pick right now and i think that's the main thing i love that you're thinking about this and i love that i'm thinking about this because right now you can't not pick a side anymore right yeah. you've got to pick you've got to pick where you're going to land 
um, and how you're going to think and, and what you're willing to give up yeah. to make room for other people. Right. We're, that's where we are. Right. Right. You're absolutely right. I was, that's, that's, I was actually just saying that with devil on the other day about just like, we've kind of the, the, what feels like the biggest difference in this moment is like, there is no neutral option anymore. No. No. Um, there is either you feel this way or you feel this way and you, you better be vocal about whichever way you feel. That's right. Um, and which I think is, which I think is important because it's like, we got to get it all out on the table and find yes. out what we're working with. That's um, right. Yeah. That's right. Well, and I, you know, and I, I, I'm, this is, it's a scary, it's a scary time and it's a sad time. And I find so much hope in, there's a group of people that have been neutral for a long time. They haven't been saying anything and we didn't know who they were. We didn't know where they were. Uh, but suddenly we there, it's becoming obvious who's not speaking up. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> for the, I think this is like one of those crazy times where like, Oh, you big neutral, you big group of neutral people. You can't be, you have to choose, you have to do something. Um, and I love that people are really, being proactive and taking risks and learning and challenging themselves. Yeah. And, um, and I think this is also, I, so I, I'll say this really quickly too. I think this is also how our culture processes trauma, right? Mm. Like the trauma of the black experience in this country is hideous. It's awful. Um, and, and I think black people have been bearing the burden of that trauma pretty much alone for a long time. I think there are a lot of people who are sympathetic and supportive, uh, but as a white woman, like I, I don't know the trauma of being a black person in this culture. In this moment right now, um, I have an opportunity to learn more than I've ever learned before. I have an opportunity to start knowing what I don't know. And the more I can know, the more I can learn, the more I can help my culture, my people, and I'm including black people in this, I can help my, the U.S. start to process this trauma mm -hmm. so that we understand, so that we shift the idea of uh, all of our behaviors and we can sort of create a new normal. Yeah. Right? That's where we're going. Um, and I think that's what this time is about. It's about um, the United States starting to process yeah. a cultural trauma that's been in play for ever. Ever. Right. Right. I think you're absolutely right. One thing that I've been thinking about a lot too, I just took, I think I told you earlier, I just took um, Melody Lee, who is mm -hmm. the, one of the founders or maybe the founder of Inclusive Therapists, um, had a, provided a training um, on racial trauma. Um, and one of the things she talked about that I think is so important for mental health professionals to like get our heads around is the idea of like, so if trauma creates problematic behaviors, you know, if we're kind of following that model, like if, yes. if we experience trauma and then because of that, we, we engage in these behaviors that, that societally we have deemed problematic. Right. Then, you know, sort of the, I think the general idea of like therapy as it is right now is like you go to therapy to process and heal from the trauma in order to stop engaging in those problematic behaviors. That's right. Um, but I think something that I have not been nearly as attuned to as I would want to be, and I feel I'm becoming more attuned to is 
if people are still actively experiencing the trauma, that's exactly right. Then we, then we have to, we have to work with them in that way. We can't be like, no, no, you need to process and heal from this. So you, we need to, we need to be meeting them and affirming and being like, you are, yeah, you're still experiencing this. So I get why you, why you're engaging in this behavior. Absolutely. And so I wanted to hear what you think about that too. Yeah, I think you're totally, I think you're totally right. I think, um, I think it's a crazy thing to say, okay, I know that that happened to you. Um, so now we're going to process it. But now when you leave my office, you're going to go back out and you're going to literally step out of my office and start experiencing the exact same kind of racism and trauma you've experienced your entire life. And somehow I'm supposed to help you not respond the way you've always responded. Right. Right. Which is not helpful at all because when you're in a trauma response, you're in a trauma response. You don't have any control over that. And if you're in the same re-traumatizing situation, you're going to have the same response until something terrible happens. I mean, it can't not happen that way. Right. And how scary is it to think because so, because, and this is something else that I think, again, mental health professionals, we need to like really wrap our heads around is like, so much of these trauma responses are protective, right? Like they are protecting us from the trauma, maybe clumsily, but that's what they're doing. Right. And so how scary is it for someone to think about removing that protection? It's scary enough, even if the trauma has objectively passed right Right. like a single you experience a single event that is traumatizing Mm -hmm. even processing and healing from that can be really scary and thinking about kind of removing those like protective scaffolds but to ask somebody to take away their protection when they are still experiencing the thing they need protection from right that's dangerous it's so dangerous. That. That's dangerous, right? Yeah. Right. That's like saying, um, I mean, again, I'm I'm a I'm a woman. I'm all feminist up, um, but that's like saying, you know, oh, we've taken we've taken care of rapists. You're you're just you're you're not going to be raped anymore. Um, don't be safe. Don't look behind you. Don't be protective of yourself in any way because no one's going. You you you. We've processed the trauma. You're not. It's all done now. It's right. like, well, except that there are still rapists running around. There's still, women are still in danger, right? Black people right. are still in danger. You can't, you can't move around as if the trauma doesn't exist and isn't going to happen again, if there's any chance that it could, right? right? Like, and uh, you don't want to live your life in fear, but you also have to be protective, right? Like, and again, I, we're going to have to get a better idea of how we want to help our culture, how we want to help our society understand this, this, this trauma and that we've all experienced and that we're all perpetrators of Mm -hmm. and our parts in it and how to move forward from that, how to make it safer for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels like this big upheaval is happening right now, which I think is so great. And I feel all at once, like energized and really overwhelmed. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I guess what I'll say to Mel is it's another upheaval, right? right? We our our country keeps dealing with this and keeps coming back to it. And we keep having upheavals because we haven't healed this wound. Right. So when, I mean, when we're talking about this sort of like, um, 
problematic behaviors due to trauma, right? Look at our whole country, right? Our whole country keeps reenacting uh, trauma. You know, like as long as uh, people are not treated equally, as long as anyone is marginalized or discriminated against, right? Our culture can't tolerate it. And so we keep, we're going to keep cycling through these upheavals until we figure this out. Yeah. Right. It's going to keep happening. So this one's, we just happen to be living through this one, but it's happened before. And, and I really, it's, I hope it keeps happening until we get more, we make more progress. We have to make more progress. Yeah. We have to get better. We have to. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, Delinda, I feel like I could talk to you about this for literally like 10 more hours, but we've actually <laughs> already hit our time, which really flew by. Um, did. Yeah. Really quickly though, I do, I did want to just touch on um, the concept of like parts work, just in terms of like a clinical, just a little clinical um, bit here. Um, and, and I know you, you are like, you practice sort of the more traditional um, internal family systems um, piece of parts work. Um, I, I don't actually, oh, I don't yeah. okay. do, no, I don't do IFS. I do a different kind of idea about parts work, but go ahead with what you're saying. Okay. I think yeah. I'll follow you. What I was going to say is the, the sort of understanding that I have of parts work and I'm not an expert by any means. Um, but the, the idea that I have is that sort of, we are, we are kind of an amalgamation of all these different parts and Mm -hmm. all of these parts are, are us and we are all of these parts. And so like the, the part of you that is like really critical of yourself um, is part of you and, and that there can be um, some really great healing done when we consider, um, when we consider that versus like it's something that needs to be fixed or it's bad or it's wrong with us right Um, right and I think that comes up a lot in this like trauma work when we think about these protective measures that people take um, and consider them as like these these quote-unquote problematic behaviors are actually like you just doing the best you can to try to like protect yourself that's right and if we can look at it that way perhaps there is there is more healing in that than in trying to change or fix it without first acknowledging and honoring it right absolutely um yeah i don't i don't do i'm not ifs trained which is internal family systems right mm-hmm. but i i agree with what you're saying though and this construct makes sense too right like if you, um, let's see, if you spend your life and you're, you're starving, a good metaphor, I like a metaphor, you know, I like a story. Mm-hmm. Um, if you spend your life and you're starving to death and you um, learn how to steal at a very early age mm-hmm. to steal food to feed yourself, right? Um, but you get really good at it. So you start stealing other things to make money because, you know, it turns out stealing is super easy. <laughs> and you're really good at it and I mean it's like you're gifted and then at some point um, you get caught or you get in trouble for it Um, and even if you start stealing just because you want to start stealing whatever I mean you could spend a lot of time beating yourself up for being a thief Mm -hmm. or you could really acknowledge that learning how to steal saved your life yeah Um, And if you can appreciate the skill set associated with becoming a really excellent thief, 
um, that, that's going to serve you in a lot of different ways. It doesn't help you though, to beat yourself up. And yeah. it certainly doesn't help you to be, you know, attacked for it. Um, it's much more helpful to own it and know it and understand it as the skill it is. Yeah. Even if it's not what our, our, again, our society would say is, you know, it's like, that's an unacceptable behavior. It's like, well, you see, sometimes it is. If you need to survive, you will learn how to steal. You yeah. will learn how to survive however you have to. Exactly. Um, and that we have to appreciate those survival skills, even yeah. if they don't fit our model of what's okay or what's not okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the way you, you sum that up. That was the point that I was hoping we would make. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Delinda, thank you so much for, for coming on the pod and sure. um, wanted to see if you have um, any resources like books or anything, podcasts that you recommend to anyone about this or about anything that you think is valuable. All the things that are valuable. There's so many things right now, Mel, that are super valuable. Mm -hmm. I think if you want to read about trauma, um, one of the books I would recommend would be Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps Score. It's a great book. Um, and it helps sort of under it helps us understand how we hold trauma in our bodies and um, how our bodies never forget. Um, and I think that's important too, right? Like we had to do that. Um, there's so many, I, you know, the list of podcasts are endless. I'm, I'm not even going to try that. I'm not going to yeah, go down there. They should really only be listening to this podcast. Anyway. Right. This is the only one, Mel. Why? This is the only one I can imagine anyone listening to. Why would they listen to anything else? Yeah. No, that um, that Body Keeps the Score book is a great, great resource. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Do you have um, an organization or a charity or anybody that you want to shout out um, who's doing some some good work? Again, I think there's so many people doing good work, you know. Um, we uh, we work at Therapy Austin, so I, I will always give a shout out to Therapy Austin because I think they're awesome, and I think we're doing excellent work there. Um, and if you need some help, it's a great place to go. Um, gosh, yeah. Again, there's a million other places, but I'm I'm going to stick with the uh, I'm going to stick with that one. Is this perfect? Just go straight for it. Awesome. Um, well, thank you again so much, Delinda. Um, for those of you who are listening, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podomatic, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Consider Therapy. We're on Twitter at ConsiderCast, uh, Facebook.com slash Consider Therapy. And you can also email us at ConsiderTherapy at gmail.com. Um, we do have a Patreon page as well if you want to support the podcast with a little monthly donation and get access to some cool bonus features. Um, that's patreon.com slash considertherapy. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Delinda, thanks so much uh, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mel. I totally appreciate it. It's been great. This has been awesome. All right. Well, this is Delinda and Mel signing off. Bye. Bye.